DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Our first lecture in the Synoptic Gospel series is called Prepare the Way of the Lord, the Coming of the Messiah. Now, if you're a God lover, a Theophilus, then this lecture is for you. St. Luke addresses his gospel to Theophilus, and the word means lover of God. So today we start our study series on the Synoptic Gospels with the book of Luke at chapter 1. Now, I'm a lover of God, I'm a Theophilus, but I'm also a big lover of typology. I love it. According to the church catechism at number 128, it reads, the church as early as apostolic times and then constantly in her tradition has illuminated the unity of the divine plan in the two testaments through typology, which discerns in God's works of the old covenant prefigurations of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. So we find Jesus all through the Old Testament, but he's hidden. He is promised. He is longed for. He's expected and he's prefigured and he is hidden. So the Old and New Testaments are really one divine revelation of God. And Jesus Christ is the hermeneutical key that unlocks everything. We have to know both testaments to have the fullest understanding of who Jesus is. You don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Some denominations want to focus solely on favorite passages in the New Testament only, and they just take a look at the New Testament. That would be a big, big, big mistake. And Pope Benedict always encouraged us to take that canonical approach, the unity of the entire canon, both Old and New Testaments. So just to get that completeness of understanding, both Testaments must be read in unity in a canonical approach. So today in this lecture, we're going to look at some typological connections between uh, starting with the old Elijah and the new Elijah. Namely, he's John the Baptist, the one who will herald the way for the Messiah. And Jesus said of John in his own words, this new Elijah is in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For 
all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears hear. Wow. So for those of you with ears to listen today, let's embark on our first Seeking Truth Catholic Bible study of the Synoptic Gospels with St. Luke at chapter 1. Our lecture tonight covers Luke chapter 1, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite chapters in the entire Bible. The study is called Prepare the Way of the Lord. It's the preparation of the coming of the Messiah. Now Luke was a physician, a Greek physician, and he cares about details, and he wants us to know for sure the things he records. And he addresses this letter to most excellent Theophilus. And we don't know exactly who Theophilus is, although he's most excellent, so he might be a governor or some type of official. But The name literally means lover of God. So anyone who's a lover of God can enjoy this letter because you're all a Theophilus, right? Luke is the first iconographer who painted a icon of Mary, the Theotokos, the God bearer. Luke is credited with being the first to paint her. It starts like this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now right off the bat, Herod, Herod the Great, was ruling at this time. He is an ambitious ruler, he's cruel, and he's known to be paranoid. His father Antipater put him in charge. He was the tetrarch of Galilee. And just this phrase, in the days of King Herod, would have brought back horrible memories for the people, for the Jews at the time. Herod was an Edomite. Now, do you remember last year in Genesis what Edomite we learned about? Jacob and his brother Esau. They were fighting in Rebekah's womb. There were two nations at war within her womb. Do you remember? And Esau went on to become an Edomite. And Herod is from the Edomite line. And he will be remembered for such things as the slaying of the holy innocents brutally ripping babies out of mother's arms and killing them because of the threat of a new king was on the scene and he wanted to make sure any child under two was killed. He used brutal violence in his rule and he heavily taxed the people. He had relentless building projects going on. He made so many things. He wanted to build a Shem, a name for himself. He built cities and palaces and fortresses. He was not in the royal line of King David. And Israel at this time was under Roman occupation. There was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife was from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. So they are a Levitical family. They are from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. And both of them were righteous in the eyes of the Lord. They were blameless. They followed God's commands. But they had no children. They were barren all those years They had not been blessed with a child. They were a priestly couple, barren and righteous. They walked with the Lord. And once, when he was serving as a priest in his division, his number was drawn. His lot was chosen. There were 24 priestly divisions in the tribe of Levi, and they each took a couple weeks' turn serving at the temple in Jerusalem. And he was, we know from Chronicle, about these 24 lines of priests. He's in the 8th division of Abijah. 
According to the practice of the priestly service, he, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn the incense. This would have been the greatest job that any priest could ever hope for. It's a once-in-a-life chance to go into the Holy of Holies and be the one to be the incense burner. This is huge, 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 huge. It's the most honorable place you could ever go. This is where the presence of God was in the temple. And Zechariah's priestly lot had been drawn. This is Huge. So he travels to Jerusalem from the foothills of Judea to serve at the temple. One week of priestly duty, two weeks a year, probably one in the fall, one in the spring. His lot has been drawn to go inside the highest place, the holiest place in all the world. The Jews felt the temple. This is where the presence of God is. There were two offerings every day at the temple, a morning offering and a twilight offering. In Hebrew, the twilight means between the two evenings. So there was a 9 a.m. sacrifice at the temple and a 3 p.m. sacrifice at the temple. And this is the job of the priests. And when the whole assembly of people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Everyone's waiting. A few years later, there was another three o'clock offering, if you remember, at the time of the afternoon, 33 years later. Three happens to be the divine number in scripture. So this is the three o'clock hour. Zechariah has gone into the Holy of Holies and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Can you imagine? Zechariah was troubled by what he saw and fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. The question is, what was his prayer? What was he praying for? If you got the chance to go into the Holy of Holies before the presence of where the Lord had been, what would you pray for? What did he pray for? This was a once in a lifetime chance. This is it. This is his moment, the moment of his life. He is inside the holiest place on earth. This is the schematic of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the priests keeps getting higher. And he is going to go up the stairs and into the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go into the place behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was with the mercy seat on top and only once a year. For the remission of sins, the blood would be poured on the mercy seat by the high priest for atonement only once a year. He's going to be right outside this curtain where the incense is burned. He's right next to the holiest place. Inside this chamber is the menorah. It's huge. It's the tree of life. It has seven stems. It symbolizes the tree of life in the seven days of creation. It's the tree of life. Also in this chamber is the table with the 12 loaves of bread, the bread of the presence. And then behind the four-inch thick tapestry curtain is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. Hmm. And he's inside there. And he is to offer, to burn incense. And the incense is like prayers that go up to the Lord God Almighty. But guess what? The Ark's not in there. At this time in Israel's history, the Ark is missing. The ark is not in the Holy of Holies. It's still a holy place because it was there at one time. It touched that land right there. But it's not there now because Jeremiah hid the ark in the cave at Mount Nebo in 2 Maccabees 2. And they followed Jeremiah and the place was sealed up. The stone was sealed up. They could never find the ark again. And it still hasn't been found to this day. And I'm telling you, archaeologists have looked and looked and looked and looked and looked for this thing. 
But the Lord said, this place is to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows them his mercy. Hmm. Hmm. So he's in there in the Holy of Holies offering incense at the golden altar. What did he pray for? What did he pray for? If he was a good priest and didn't want to be struck dead, he would pray for the redemption of Israel, the salvation of Israel, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles, glory for your people Israel. He would pray for the anointed one, for the Messiah, for the Savior. They're under Roman oppression. They have Herod ruling. We know that's what Simeon was praying for all those years because when he sees baby Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen salvation. I can die now. Dismiss your servant. Let me go in peace. And Anna, who had been at the temple for 84 years, fasting and praying every day, she never left the temple. This old widow was praying for the redemption of Israel. That's what the Jews prayed for. That's what Zechariah would have been praying for, the salvation of Israel. What did he pray for? Because the angel said, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Say what? say what but really that's what he's praying for it's the same answer the redemption of israel is coming john's going to announce the way prepare ye the way of the lord and so zachariah doubts because he wasn't thinking that elizabeth's gonna have a baby i think they would probably accepted their infertility by the time you're 80 90 100 years old you know? <laughs> did god really say that Zechariah wants to know what? You can't, can you imagine? That's going to cost him when you question the archangel Gabriel. <laughs> but silence is not all bad. And silence will be a great public witness to all who are waiting for him to come out of the temple. And it's taken a really, 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 really long time. What happened to Zechariah? He's in the Holy of Holies. Now the archangel is going to tell him a prophecy about their son-to-be. He says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord and he will drink neither wine nor strong drink because he's going to take a Nazarite vow. And we know that from Numbers chapter 6, a man or woman could be set apart for the Lord and take the vow of a Nazarite, not to cut their hair, not to take for men to drink, to be separate and set apart. In the Old Testament, we know a couple people who took the Nazarite vow. One was Samson. He took the Nazarite vow. He is going to come for the deliverance of Israel against the Philistines. His mom and dad were sterile, and they remained childless. And an angel appeared to them, to her, and said, You're sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine. He's telling her, that's good prenatal care. And then Samson also takes that Nazarite vow. The boy is going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be set apart to God from birth. He's going to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Wow. And he did. And then another person in salvation history, Hannah, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a baby because she was barren. And she said, Lord, 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 if you give me a child, all the days of his life, no razor will come upon his head. I will have him take the Nazarite vow. And I will give him back to you in service to the temple. I will give him back to Eli, the high priest. And she does. When she weans her son, she gets pregnant, has a baby, and she gives him back to service of the Lord in the temple. He's taken the Nazarite vow. You see the long curly hair. No razor has touched his head. And he's anointed. And he will be the one to anoint King David. 
He will be part of the deliverance of Israel. In the New Testament, a couple people we know of. It's thought that St. Paul might have taken the Nazarite vow. In Acts chapter 18, it says before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chanchera because he had a vow he had taken. He probably took the Nazarite vow. Also, John the Baptist voluntarily took the Nazarite vow, lived in the desert, set himself apart for the Lord in preparation to announce to Herod the way of the Messiah. Now, the angel also tells Zechariah that your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Wow, that has never happened before. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit from the moment of conception on. Wow. They knew about a spirit. They knew a spirit hovered over the water at the creation of the world, but the spirit had never indwelt. The spirit had come upon different people, the anointing of David, so forth, but not an indwelling Holy Spirit. This is new. This is a new covenant. And the angel says that your child's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah. He was the greatest prophet of all time. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers toward children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare the people fit for the Lord. Wow. Zechariah must have been astonished because this is exactly what Malachi had said. Malachi the prophet, the very last prophet of Israel, said, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. So all the people were waiting for Elijah because Elijah has to come before Messiah. Elijah's coming back. He went up in a chariot of fire. He's going to come back before the day of the Lord. And he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Does that sound familiar? Malachi delivered that message around 420 BC. And since then, it has been silent. No prophet has spoken. 400, 500 years, they're waiting in silence. No prophet after Malachi. So imagine Zachariah about to hear this news about his son. He was dumbfounded. <laughs> Simply dumbfounded. And he doubted. Now, we want to talk a minute about typology. Typology is awesome and something that the church has used since apostolic times and then constantly in her tradition to illuminate the unity of the two testaments, the old and the new, and to show the old uh, covenant prefigurations that come to fulfillment in the incarnation in Jesus Christ. So who's Elijah? Because Elijah has to come first. Who's Elijah? Who is Elijah? Only the greatest prophet of all time. He was fed by the ravens in the Old Testament. He, he raised a child that came back to life when he laid on top of him and breathed on him. He was at the top of Mount Carmel where he slayed 400 prophets of Baal after his sacrifice lit on fire. You've heard these readings. And at that time of the divided kingdom, Elijah angered King Ahab and Queen Jezebel quite a few times. He was always in discourse with them, always running from them. King Ahab ruled during the time of Elijah. King Herod is ruling during the time of the new Elijah, John the Baptist. The new Elijah, John the Baptist, quarreled with King Herod and Queen Herodias. If you recall, he took every opportunity he could to discuss the invalidity of their marriage because Herodias was really married to Herod's half-brother Philip, but she was living with Herod. And in the Lord's eyes, she was still married to Philip. And John put his neck out to, to let him know that. Herod 
feared John, yet he protected him because he was puzzled by him. He perplexed him. He liked to have him come in and discuss things, and it kind of entertained Herod. But one day there was a dinner party, and his stepdaughter Salami came in and did a most seductive dance. And in his very lustful longing for her, he offered her anything she wanted up to half of my kingdom. And she looked at her mother and she said, I'll take the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So at the order of Herod, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all time, is beheaded at Herod's order as a dinner party favor for Salami. Imagine. And Jesus Christ himself said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it, Jesus Christ said, John, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So the last prophet before Jesus is Elijah. Jesus will be the final prophet, the priest, prophet, and king, the high priest, the greatest prophet, the eternal king. And by the virtue of our baptism, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit and incorporated into Christ. And so we also have a role as priest, prophet, and king. Friends, I do think that it is important for us to recognize that the Ark of the Covenant was not housed in the Jerusalem temple at the time of Zechariah's visit or at the time that the Holy Family was actually residing on earth. That Ark had been missing for years. Second Maccabees was one of the seven books removed by Protestants following the Reformation. But Second Maccabees chapter 2 is a truth treasure trove for the Catholic canon and a really crucial reading for us to understand and to know that that Ark of the Covenant was not housed at the temple at the time of Christ. At the time Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus into the temple for the presentation to God, you'll recall that Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, immediately knew that Jesus, baby Jesus, was the anointed one, the Messiah of God, the true presence of God. Jesus Christ was back in the temple again. And the woman who carried him in, the woman who carried the true presence of God, she herself was an ark. She was the ark, the ark of the new covenant, and it will eventually be a new covenant of her own baby boy's blood. Christ's very own blood will eventually become what is sprinkled on the new mercy seat for the redemption of sin. Jesus Christ himself will be the new mercy seat. Jesus Christ will be the perfect Passover lamb of sacrifice, as well as the sinless high priest who offers the sacrifice. So Jesus is going to be both victim and priest. So if you would listen now to this critical information about that missing ark in our scripture reading from 2 Maccabees 2. 2 Maccabees chapter 2 at verse 1. One finds in the records that the prophet Jeremiah ordered those who were being deported to take some of the fire, as has been mentioned, and that the prophet, after giving them the law, instructed those who were being deported not to forget the commandments of the Lord, or to be led astray in their thoughts on seeing the gold and silver statues and their adornment. And with other similar words, he exhorted them that the law should not depart from their hearts. 
It was also in the same document that the prophet, having received an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should follow with him, and that he went out to the mountain where Moses had gone up and had seen the inheritance of God. Jeremiah came and found a cave dwelling, and he brought there the tent and the ark and the altar of incense. Then he sealed up the entrance. Some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the way, but could not find it. When Jeremiah learned of it, he rebuked them and declared, The place shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear, as they were shown in the case of Moses, and as Solomon asked that the place should be specially consecrated. place shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear. Ah, yes, the place did remain unknown until God gathered us together and showed us his perfect mercy on Mount Calvary that day of the cross. The glory cloud did appear previous to that on the feast day of his glorious transfiguration. Listen now to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 at verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. That same glory cloud reappeared on the feast day of his glorious ascension, as we now hear in Acts chapter 1, also told to us by St. Luke. Acts, chapter 1, at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. He goes up in a cloud. It is finished. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's what we heard at the transfiguration. Jesus, the father's final word, has done his job in perfect obedience to the father's pleasure to glorify his father and to save mankind. Until next time, keep seeking truth. Truth is a person. Truth has a name. Jesus Christ is truth and the truth will set you free. Until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. 
learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting, of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Go to SeekingTruth.net. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.